So today's daf is Lamid Dalid in Betzah. We are Lamid Gimel Amud Bet. We are three lines from the bottom. We are in Mila Beninet Afim. We don't heat up the uh, the uh, uh, tiles basically to cook on them. They would heat up the tiles and cook on them. So Mike Avi, the question is, what's the problem with that? What's the difference between that and uh, I don't know, cook, heating a pan and cooking on it? The issue is that we're talking about new items. In other words, it's made from like earthenware, basically. And so the first time you use it, it's finishing the tile itself. So there's two spins on it. In other words, either because in other words you're trying it out for the first time and it might break there's two possibilities the fact that it's new what's the issue with the newness of it is the issue with the newness that since you never tested it out it's possible that it will just break when you try to heat up these tiles and cook with them and therefore it might be a that had no purpose, like Rashi says, or it's because you're sealing it because you never used it before. So the first time you run it, basically you're sealing it and then you're doing a mlacha in terms of tikkun kli, uh, fixing the, uh, the tiles. So the, now this, these two possibilities are going to be like in the back of our mind and the next we'll get. Tananatam, we learned over there, derasa, oshet kotel, umifarkeset. So we're talking about a bird that a person, uh, let's talk about Trefot, this is talking about Chulin actually, that, you know, somebody trampled a bird or threw it against the wall or uh, an animal uh, walked on, you know, uh, crushed it. Um, in other words, something happened to this bird that normally when an animal or a bird uh, endures a uh, trauma, like a bodily trauma like that, it's crushed or dropped, it falls from a high height or anything like that. So you have to wait 24 hours. And if it's still alive and kicking, so then you do the shechita and then you have to check it for any possible trefot because it had that accident. You can't do it within the 24 hours because if you do it within 24 hours, it's possible that the trauma really would have killed it, but you can't tell yet. You have to give it 24 hours and then slaughter and then check it. So the thing is, if that happened, so if you waited the 24 hours after the traumatic, traumatic incident, and it, you know, in other words, it got injured and it's still like, you know, still hanging on. It can't stand up, Rashi says, you know, it's mifarkesed, means it can't stand up, uh, but it's alive 24 hours later. So you can slaughter it and then obviously you have to check it and it is, uh, it'll be kasher. So you have to check it because there's reason to believe that it was damaged. Now Rashi uh, says here, normally when we do, uh, we inspect trefot, so we inspect them just out of a chumrat, the chumrat, because really the chazaka is, the assumption is that an animal or a bird is not going to be a trefot. That's always the assumption. But in a case where there was a traumatic event, so now it's actually an obligation to, uh, to investigate and to check that the traumatic event did not cause damage to the animal, internal damage, first of all, we have to wait the 24 hours to make sure that it survived. And, uh, and then we have to check it afterwards uh, to inspect it um, because of the traumatic event. In other words, that removes the chazakah. But removes the chazakah, we have to check it. Now here, so here comes the question then. So since you know, let's say this happened to this bird before the Yom Tov, and you waited 24 hours, the 24 hours... It's lunchtime on Yom Tov when the 24 hours passes. So now the question is going to be, can I 
um, slaughter this animal on Yom Tov because the possibility is that I'm going to inspect it after the Shechita and find out that it's no good and then I did a Shechita for nothing. I did a Shechita Trefa. Right? So it says, um, so we asked Rabbi Zerah, in other words, do we make the presumption where she says, Mishum chashash isum lecha biyom tov dilma mishtekech trefa v'yitza shukhtash lo letorech. She says, right? Even though, in other words, why can you slaughter any animal, you might ask. It's always a suffix, maybe you'll find it's a trefa. Oh, because really, we have a presumption that there aren't, that the animal, we go by rov, we go by the majority, it's not a trefa. But, so we don't, we're just doing a chumrah when we check it. But over here, where we have reason to believe that it actually was uh, harmed, so it's a different story. We shouldn't be able to slaughter it, maybe. So the so uh, that was the question. So mi machzikan machzikinan reuta biyom tov lo amar leitanena en melabnina tar afim letzod bein. So he says you can really answer it from the mishnah that we have in this parak, which is that we just read that you're not supposed to uh, heat up the tires, right? The havenan, but we asked Micah Avid, what are we doing? Then they should look the botkan. So that was his version. His version was the first one. In other words, that you can't heat up tiles, like Rabbi Bachana said, it, that you can't heat up tiles because since it's the first time you're using it, um, they might break in the process. You don't really know that they are, they're not tested. And so therefore, you see, you can't heat them up because there's a reason to believe that maybe they're not going to survive the heating. Now, it could be that after a hundred times you heat it a hundred and first time, it also uh, breaks. But there, there's no reason to assume it. Here, we, ha- we don't have any definite information. So he's saying the same thing, because there's reason to suspect that the animal has a problem, so therefore you can't do the shechita. But Amar Lehi said to him, Anan, that wasn't the version that we had of Rabbi Babachana. Our version of Rabbi Babachana said, Chasminan, that, that the reason why it's a problem to heat up the tiles is because you're sealing the tiles when it's the first time. You're finishing them off. Not because they might break. If that's the case, then we're not really concerned that they might break. And we could also say that after this chicken or this animal survived 24 hours, we're also not really concerned that, uh, you know, we don't have to worry, we don't have to presume that there's something wrong with it and we'd be allowed to do the shechita, it wouldn't be a problem. So it would depend on how we read that case of the tiles. If we say that the issue with the tiles is that you shouldn't do something where there's a risk involved because it might turn out that you lose, uh, you lose the bet and you did them lecha for nothing. Or it could be that the only reason why we're not allowed to heat up those tiles uh, it's not because of risk. Risk you're allowed to take, and you can assume the optimistic side and uh, that it's going to turn out okay. The problem is that you're definitely doing a mlacha by sealing the tiles. That's the problem. But when it comes to the animal, you'd be allowed to slaughter it. So that's left as a question. Now, Tanya, we learned in the Brayta. Echad 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 you have a situation of real teamwork over here. One guy brings the fire, one guy brings the wood, one guy brings, puts on the pot, one guy brings the water, one guy puts in the spices, one guy mixes it. They all chayvin. It's obviously talking about on Shabbat because on Yom Tov you're allowed to cook, right? So I don't know if people did this on Shabbat. But another bride says, Achon In another bride that says that only the last guy is going to be liable and everyone else is patur. So how could that be? In other words, Rashi says, and Rashi explains, the person who brought the fire, it's because he lit the fire, right? Um, and when you walk with the fire, with the, uh, with the coal, it's, you know, it's adding to the fire from the motion, okay? And the guy who brings the wood, he's burning the wood, so that's another mavir, 
lighting a fire. The person who took, puts the pot down, it's going to explain what that is. The person who puts the water and the spices and mixes, that's all bishul. They're all liable because of bishul. But the second bright, that says only the last person is going to be liable. So how could that be? So Gemara says that It depends who the last person is. In the first case, we're talking about where the fire was there first and everyone else who was doing whatever they were doing was doing it with the live fire, so they were actually cooking. The brighter that says only the last guy means that if everyone set up the situation but there was no fire, and then a guy comes and puts the fire, only the guy that puts the fire is going to be liable in that case. Um, and uh, now it says, So it says like this, Right, we understand all of these cases. What is the what is the melachan putting a pot on the fire? There's no melacha there. Same as we said before regarding the tiles. Since it's a new pot, the first time you use the pot, it seals the pot. Okay, it might not be true nowadays. I'm sure it's probably not true nowadays because whatever we get has been like. Uh, gone through all kinds of different uh, all kinds of different processing but if you're dealing with an earthenware pot or in those days maybe probably even a metal pot um, there's you know the first time you use it was really uh, I mean I know that whenever we get a new water urn we always run it through at least one time before we use it for Shabbat because the first time it usually has like a bad smell or taste that goes in the water because there is like sealant on there and everything but that's not because you're finishing the urn that's just because it was like probably uh, who knows what what you know what was uh, what kind of sealant or what kind of thing was on there that uh, gives it kind of like not such a great taste the first time that you that you run it through. Um, I think it also could be true sometimes with the uh, with the slow cooking pots and stuff like that that the first time you use it, it has like a unusual taste. But the, that's not the point here. The point here is that since it's not fully formed until the first time you use it, that's why it's a melachat. So use it the first time. Uh, and, and just like it says, like the case of the tiles. Now, if you have a new oven or a new stove, it's like anything else in uh, in a chatzir, anything else that you have in the uh, in the uh, uh, the courtyard that you could use it because you could put stuff. She says the you could put things in it. You're not using it to cook. It's Shabbat, but you could use it for other things. Right, you can't put any oil on them. You also cannot otan uh, You're not supposed to rub it with uh, any kind of a cloth. And then uh, And if you have a hot pot that you took off the fire, you should not put any cold water on it because basically what you're going to be doing is uh, uh, is sealing the the pot from going from hot to cold. Uh, obviously, if it's Yom Tov and you're doing it in order to uh, bake, in other words, that the pot is too hot and you need to cool it down for some reason to, uh, in order to, as part of the baking process, then it would be allowed to do that. But anything else that is finishing off of the pot would not be allowed. That is separate from the cooking, uh, from the cooking itself, and that obviously wouldn't be allowed on Shabbat either. When you slaughter a, uh, when you slaughter an animal or you slaughter a bird. You know, you have to remove the feathers and you have to remove the, uh, or the hair of the animal. So it says, that was when they would take the head and they would put it in hot water and that would allow them to take the, uh, the feathers or the hair off more easily, or the legs. Uh, similarly, you could also use hot, sometimes they would use fire to basically um, burn it off or heat it up so that it came off easily. 
the chamasid below badama, but you can't use like these like depilatory sort of like uh, substances to remove the feathers, to remove the hair, um, like the, the something that's made with uh, with sand or uh, with uh, with dirt, with plaster. So you can't do that because that's like a professional way that they would take hair off for tanning the hides. That's not just the level that you would do it for cooking, but it's the level that you would do for tanning the hides. You can't do that. Then goes the Zinotan B'misparaim. You can't cut it off using uh, like a type of a uh, scissors because it looks like you're keeping the hair for your use. Like it's almost like you're taking the hair. It's not like you're just cleaning off the uh, animal or the bird, but you're actually, it looks like you're keeping it. Um, and then goes the Zin, and you also cannot, when you are, uh, if you have, um, she says, uh, a vegetable, even though it's separate from the, it's, you already took it out of the ground already, obviously, but you want to cut away the wilted or the rotten leaves, you can't use the special kind of a, uh, uh, of, uh, uh, you know, the, um, I forget what they call it actually when you use it in the garden, that type of a scissor that, that you use for vegetables, you know, the, the kind of shears, shears yeah. You can't use that, like those those kind of pruning shears or whatever you call them, because um, because it looks like you're doing work in the garden. It doesn't look like it's not clear that you're just doing it to prepare the food. So you won't be allowed to do that. Aval mitaknin et takundas vet akaviot. So Rashi says these are the type of vegetables that take a really long time to prepare. So the quantitative factor, the point is, is not an issue. You want to prepare something that takes a really long time to make it. You know that's okay. That's not a problem. Per se, you can also use this kind of a uh, commercial level uh, oven. It's very large ovens, which Rashi says are like our ovens and also like our ovens today, that the opening was on the side. Because most of the time they talk about these home ovens, that the opening was on the top. But this is one that has it on the side, so it's like a commercial uh, oven. He says you can use that and you don't have to worry um, about the fact that you're, obviously, if you're using such a large oven, you're also preparing a tremendous amount of food. In other words, if, if you really need, um, he says, in other words, it's a, uh, uh, you don't have to worry about the extra work that's involved in taking care of that kind of an oven, using that kind of an oven, because you need it. And you can use this kind of an urn that they, they talk about in Masechet Shabbat, also about the, the, these different kinds of urns that they had. But you can't use a Puranik Chadasha. You cannot use the new um, uh, kind of a, an oven because uh, it, might, uh, it, it might fall apart. Since it's brand new, you don't want it to fall apart and then you did it for nothing. Okay, similar to what we said before, it was a possible interpretation of why you cannot heat up the tiles. Here it's saying you can't, do, uh, you can't use a brand new oven because... Uh, uh, because it might fall apart. You know, you never used it before. Okay, now Tosfot says, what about the fact that before we said you're allowed to cool off the uh, oven or cool off something if it's in order to bake. So here, why can't you just bake and, and what happens, happens. He says this is different because there's more of a concern. He says, because it's so big, it's more of a concern. Okay, why that is exactly where you draw the line is not clear, but um, but they're making a distinction between it's saying that when it comes to these large ovens, you can't use it for the first time. You cannot blow the fire with like a bellows that you normally use. You can use a small tube. And you also cannot fix a skewer, um, meaning if it... Uh, now, when Rashi says that can't be according to Rabbi Yehuda, because Rabbi Yehuda says you can do basically anything for food. 
or it's talking about a skewer that was already bent or whatever from before Yom Tov and you neglected to do it. Um, so the, even Rabbi Yehuda would say you can't, um, you can't blow with the bellows because it looks like a weekday activity. It looks like you're doing a real malacha uh, beyond uh, the immediate need of the cooking. You can't split a reed in order to uh, roast a uh, fish on it. In other words, you have a uh, you want to put it underneath, like we said before about they would use, sometimes use like uh, pieces of earthenware. They would put the fish on that and put that onto the grill instead of putting the fish directly on the grill. It was better. You can't do that. And but you, what you could do is you can um, you could. Uh, uh, that you, you're allowed to uh, break open a nut with a with a cloth, even though it might tear the cloth. Because since your purpose is not to um, is not really to uh, repair the cloth, because normally tearing is only a mlacha if it's done al manat litvor. If you're going to then uh, you're, you're tearing because when somebody is a uh, you know is a uh, a tailor basically they sometimes or a seamstress or whatever they'll tear something in order to sew it better back. That's really what the malachah is here. Um, even if you break something, you tear something by accident as you're doing, uh, breaking open the walnuts or whatever, uh, you tore the cloth, but you didn't tear it in order to make the cloth better, so it's not going to be a malachah. It wasn't, that's what Rashi says, it's because of mikalkel. Others people, other people say that it's, no, it's because, um, it's because uh, it's not a, you know, the Rashi is basically saying it's not almanat litfor, that's the reason why. Another possibility is it's not mitkaven, since the person was not mitkaven, that wasn't the kavanah to do it, so it doesn't come uh, under the heading of Mlachan Shabbat. And that's, or, or Yom Tov here, as the case may be, because some of these halachot are obviously equal between Shabbat and Yom Tov, and some of them are only Yom Tov, the ones that deal with cooking, obviously you can't do any cooking on Shabbat, it weren't, wouldn't even be relevant. The Mishnah says, Fodam Rabbi Eliezer, a person could stand on the mukteh. Here it means that it basically fruits or whatever that were set aside, they were not considered ready yet to be consumed. It's like they were in the process still, but they weren't ready yet. It's calling it a mukteh. He could stand there, Erev Shabbat B'Shvi'it, on a Friday of the Shemitah year. Okay? The, the reason why I mentioned Shemitah is because... Um, it's trying to sidestep the issue of maser and truma for these items, basically. Right? So the person stands there and says, I'm going to eat from here tomorrow. No, they have, to make, they have to be really specific and make a siman and designate exactly where they're going to eat from. They can't be general. Okay? The Gemara will get into what the difference is between whether it's general or it's specific. But the main point right now that, they, that it's going to deal with first is the issue of this designation to begin with. Because we're talking about items that are obviously not fully processed yet and haven't had the Maser and Chuma separated from them yet. In that case, here we're specifically speaking about during Shemitah, the Mishnah. So there is no Maser and Chuma for the year of Shemitah. But the Gemara is going to go on to the issue, um, sort of a, a variation on this issue. Because Tananatam, Tinokot Shetamnut Enim Erev Shabbat. If you have kids that took fruits... Uh, they took figs on Erev Shabbat and they're either in the field or they're in the garden, Rashi says, and So they said, we're going to put aside this fruit that is not fully, uh, seemingly wasn't fully ready, but let's leave that as an open question. What they did was they put it aside for Shabbat. Okay, they hid it in the field or in the, in the they put it aside in the field in the garden for Shabbat. They never ended up separating the Maser and they never ended up eating it. They forgot about it, right? They came back on Motzei Shabbat. They have to sep- They have to do the maaser. Then they have to separate the maaser. Now the, the Gemara is going to explain why, because even though normally 
items that are not, uh, were not yet brought into the house, right? Or were not yet brought into the chatzer, not yet brought into the house, even though those normally you're allowed to eat, uh, you're allowed to, you know, even something that is, is fully is fully done isn't subject to the full rules of Maaseh until you bring it into the house. That's the rule. And also something that isn't fully done, even after you bring it into the house, technically, it's not subject fully to the laws of Maaseh. You're allowed to eat achilat aray. You're just not allowed to eat achilat keva until you uh, separate the Maaseh. So here we're talking about fruits that they put aside. They said we're going to eat it on Shabbat. They didn't end up eating it on Shabbat. They have an obligation of Maaseh now. Okay, why? Because even though they were only going to snack on it, it wasn't achilat keva, right? So Rashi says, Utenim davar Right, so he says that we're talking about that uh, that since it was finished and it was ready, even though it hadn't come into the house yet, and normally if it hasn't come into the house yet, you're allowed to have a snack from it. But since they designated it for Shabbat use, Shabbat use is never called Arai. We don't call Shabbat use uh, a minor use. It's always major because it's Shabbat. So therefore, it's going to make it... So then even Motzei Shabbat, since they didn't, eat, they didn't eat it on Shabbat, that's the Chidush. In other words, it's one thing to say, yeah, if they eat it on Shabbat, that's a chashuv, achila chashuvah. But even if they didn't actually eat it on Shabbat, but they, they, they thought to eat it on Shabbat, that gives it now the status that it needs to have the Maser taken. Right? And Utnan Ami, we also learn, Tenim b'chatzirot, Amavir tenim b'chatzirot l'katzot, Banav u'bnevet ochlim enaray, u'pturin. That if a person brings... Uh, figs, even though normally you could eat the figs as they are, like fresh figs, but he puts them there in order to dry them. So he's saying, I'm not done with these figs. I'm putting them to dry. So the melach, the melacha is not done. So then his family can eat from it. All right, they don't have to worry. Up to him. And they're, they're exempt from any kind of masim, right? So one halacha we see here is that Shabbat has a power to create, uh, to make what would normally be a minor eating, achilat keva, into a significant eating. We also see that if a person brings something into the chatzir, but he has further plans for it, so then his family is allowed to eat achilat aray from it still. Even though he brought it into the chatzir, and technically it could be eaten as is. But because he has plans for it beyond this stage, he wants to dry it first, they can still snack from the undried uh, figs along the way. So now the question is this, Let's combine these two cases. What if the fruits that had been involved in the first case were Right? In other words, what we, we were talking about where kids put aside food, fruits for Shabbat that were already fully uh, prepared, but they weren't brought in the house yet. That's why they were allowed to still technically eat them uh, for a snack, except for Shabbat. And... If the item is not fully prepared, right, even if it's brought into the chatzar, but it's not fully prepared, you're also allowed to snack on it. What about Shabbat in that case where it's not fully prepared? So, right, do we say that there's at least some standard or no? In other words, does the Shabbat basically override both factors, the Arai factor, but also it overrides the lo nigmaramelachto factor. I mean, it says that it says if it was nigmaramelachto, or do we say no? That it can override, it can change my eating from being an inconsequential eating to be a significant eating, but it can change a food into a complete food from incomplete food, right? It, it can't do that. In other words, is it that Shabbat like pushes aside 
all of the leniencies that we have here. And lo melachto is also a type of a leniency. It's also a type of a, uh, you know, is sort of like a downgrading of the fruit. But maybe we'll say that Shabbat elevates the fruit to be, because I'm using it to eat it on Shabbat, it becomes like nigmaram melachto. You know, do we also say that or not? He answered him, you're right. It actually overrides both. So it's a, yeah, like they like to say in the yeshiva world, the chefza and the gavra, right? The, 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 the fruit also becomes nigmar melachto because, uh, because of Shabbat. Not only does my achila, not only does my action become, uh, become a, achila chashuva, but even the fruit becomes, uh, a complete fruit because, it, because it's being used on Shabbat. Why would you go so far? Maybe it should be no different than bringing it into the courtyard. Just like the courtyard, if I bring into the courtyard something that is complete, so now the fact that I brought it into the courtyard, we say that now the obligation of Master is going to begin. Five minutes ago when it wasn't on my property, it was, I could still snack from it, but now that it came in, I can't. So maybe it's like Shabbat. Just like, uh, just like the chatzer can only do that to a fully formed, completely processed food. It can't even do that to figs if I plan on leaving the figs to dry. So, so I should say the same, same thing about Shabbat. I understand that my personal eating can be given more chashivut from the fact that it's Shabbat. But how can you change a fruit from an unprocessed to a processed fruit through the magic of Shabbat? How does that work? He said to him, no. Amale limud aruch ubiadenu. Very interesting. He doesn't bother getting into proving it. He just tells him, I'm telling you a fact. This is the fact. Bottom line is, Shabbat has this power that all of the leniencies of, uh, of Maaser are off when Shabbat is in play. So as soon as Shabbat comes in, both the leniency of lo nigmaram melachto as well as the leniency of achilat arai, both of them are pushed aside and every act, every fruit is considered complete because it's being used for Shabbat and every act of achilat is considered chashuv because it's being done on Shabbat. Although the Rambam does say in Hilchot Ma'asrot that this is only, according to him, he says that he, in his opinion, it's only a midrabanan. He says it's only makat mardut. It's not like a, uh, he says that midyoraita really, he says he thinks. It's one of those few cases where the Rambam brings his own opinion. You know, normally he just quotes things as fact. He says, in my opinion, uh, in, you know, the, these rules, certain rules that they made, there are other ones that the Gemara is going to bring later, I think, here also, but the rules, the, the exceptions to the rules of Nigmar uh, Melachto and Achilat Arai and all that, he says, whenever there are exceptions, those exceptions are Chumrot Midrabanan. They don't really give you an Isur Dewaita of eating Tevel in that case, uh, the Rambam says. So and it makes sense that, you know, that that would be the case. That really the laws of Maser wouldn't change all of a sudden on Shabbat from what they are at other times. But it's part of the, uh, it basically it's part of the kavod of Shabbat that you're saying that anything you do on Shabbat, all of a sudden it becomes like something chashuv. So Bezbeth Hashem will start from here because it goes all the way to, what happened? The language that he uses, limud aruchu yeah. as opposed to halacha Right, right, yeah, limud aruch. Yeah. He's also quoting a pasuk from the Navi. Like a karatash about oneg, you know, it's like, uh, he's quanting something about oneg Shabbat, which is also a derabanan, not a deraita. Yeah, so there's a lot of indications that it might, that it wouldn't be a deraita.
just in general, the idea that, that the laws of, of Maser would change on Shabbat seems like uh, would be an unusual thing. Not impossible, but unusual. Um, we find that on, in Sukkah, actually, where the laws of Sukkot, you know, if a certain wall is valid for Shabbat, we'll say, well, on the Shabbat of Sukkot, then it's going to be valid, because how can you say it's not a wall for Sukkot when it's a wall for Shabbat? Like we learned about in uh, the Mesech Sukkot, so sometimes you have that. But uh, here it does seem to be a Rabbanan, the Rabbam says, in his opinion, it's the Rabbanan. But either way, the point is, this was the official ruling, that all bets are off with regard to Maser when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, Shabbat. The other thing was that the uh, Rashi says that why does it mention children before Tinokot that they hide uh, the fruits? He said that the reason is because you might have thought that the kids, you know, uh, dot is not significant when it comes to this because the kid is uh, putting it aside for Shabbat use. How does that affect the status of the fruits? Because you see that there the status persists even after Shabbat. So how could it be that the kid's dot is going to change the status of the fruit permanently because he designated for a Shabbat snack? So Rashi says that it's to show you, because they did an action of actually moving the fruits, that has a, grants greater significance to the, uh, to the dot of the child, and that's why it ha- can have a halachic impact. And that's the Mishnah Masrot. That, uh, the, you know, that's really from the Mishnah Masrot there, where it actually talks about all of these uh, exceptions to the rule of Maser that... Uh, that, you know, that changed the equation of uh, what's considered Arai, what's considered Keva, and so on. Okay, Bezad Hashem, we'll continue from here tomorrow. Uh, the next part goes too far.